0: So my message will be Zechariah prophecies number three. And we will cover those in just a bit, but let's look at some headlines here. Bring us up to date on some things that are going on. And then we'll come back and we'll go through Zechariah prophecies number three. Now, I hope everyone is getting news beyond the MSN. Now, MSN is mainstream media, because they are the lying lips of the whole Biden government. And they're not telling the truth about what's happening with the economy. They tried to show the job numbers, how many jobs were created, And there were no jobs created in the private sector, but in the government sector. Okay? We'll talk about some other things. Okay? Again, UN plans to enter in totalitarian form of global governance. Now, that's going to happen. And it's going to be really control, because they will have the power. Now, recently, one of our elders wanted to find out, is it true that they can track me with my smartphone? So he got it set up, so he found himself on his smartphone as a blue dot. So he took the phone in his hand, and he walked from room to room, and the blue dot, went with him. So think of that. And they are developing a lot of things that are going to lead into a whole lot of control that they're not telling you anything about because they want to get them in position first. Okay? Now then, Direct government censorship of the Internet is here, and it's going to get worse. Now, Elon Musk exposed a lot of it, but on the other hand, Elon Musk likes to have a chip in everyone. All right. Now, the astronomers have discovered some very spectacular things, especially through the James Webb Telescope website. So here are two of them. Now I don't know how they figure this, but the Web Space stela- Telescope finds galaxies that challenge astronomical theories. They say they are 33 billion light years away. Now I don't know how they figure that far out. But that tells you an awful lot about the vastness of the universe. Okay? And remember, that's what God says we're going to inherit as Michael brought out being joint heirs. Now also scientists discovered A stunning river of stars, river flowing through space. Now, why do you suppose that God has given this knowledge and understanding? He's done it to show the world how great he is, that evolution is impossible, and these things don't happen from nothing. That there has to be God, there has to be someone directing it. And I just watched this last week, uh, a tremendous picture that they took of an exploding star. Now, this was on the James Webb website for a telescope. And I'm convinced that God was with them in the planning, in the directing, in the manufacture, putting it together, and getting it off into space. Because God wants a witness that men cannot deny a river of stars. Now back to Earth A one and Fulfilling Prophecy. All of those who know about A one, if you watch the any of the programs on television talking about the artificial intelligence, AI or A1 AI, that they are worried that it will have independent control of its own thoughts. And that, remember the movie they made? That the artificial Creatures were going to destroy us. They made that some years ago. Well, it's coming to reality with AI. okay. And with that, they're going to control speech. They're going to control what is said. And the Internet is going to be completely policed so that only what they want on the Internet will be on the Internet, which means... There's coming a day when we won't be on the Internet. So that's why I keep saying, get the real books. Okay. Now here again, taking down free speech in China. Watch out for China because they are on the verge of a big, economic depression. And guess who they have come to to get the money to help them have a soft landing? The American investors, and in particularly BlackRock, to buy their bonds so they won't have a complete financial collapse. Here's one more. Leading Italian parliamentarian, he wants Rome to return the temple vessels to Israel. And they do not have the Ark of the Covenant. Now, as we have already covered the Ark of the Covenant, In Revelation 11 and verse 19, that is the definitive statement of where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's up by the throne of God in heaven. Now, why is it there? Because men wanted to try and take it and use it as power to conquer and to rule. And so the only thing we can figure, how did it get from the temple on earth up to the area of the throne of God in heaven above? Well, God probably sent a couple of angels during the time of Jeremiah to remove it and take it up there. Now we know that in the listing of all the things and treasures that they took from Babylon, the ark is not mentioned. We know that when they brought the things back out of Babylon, the ark is not mentioned. When it comes to the time of the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD and the Romans carrying off all of the treasures within The temple, the Ark of the Covenant, is not mentioned. So the only thing we can conclude is that it's in heaven, as Revelation 11.19 tells us. And it's not some place that they're going to dig it up and find it. Now, if you go to the Temple Institute and look at all of the things that they are making ready for the temple, you will also see that they have a facsimile of the Ark. Now, just to clear up one heresy, and we have this on, on uh, Church at Home. By the way, go to Church at Home and watch the four that we did on Christmas and watch the one that we did on Where is the Ark of the Covenant? They may plant one, buried under what is supposedly the temple area, a counterfeit. But remember that God always did this. Whenever it had to be carried or moved, it had to be carried and moved by hand and by the hands of the Levites. No one else. Anyone else touch it? Histoire. Now then, we also know that when the Philistines took it for a while, they had great plagues of hemorrhoids and mice. So think of this. If you examine all the countries where they say it may be, the city of Rome, uh, Ethiopia, South Africa, and wherever else they may say that the Ark of the Covenant possibly could be, and those are all wrong, have any of those countries had any plagues that only God would stop? The answer is no. So, The word of God is true, and if it says it's up in heaven and John saw it, guess where it is. Right where God said. Now, we're getting close to break time, so let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come back and we will uh, go through Zechariah Prophecies number three, and I think we're going to find this really interesting indeed. So let's take a break, and we'll be back in 20. Welcome back, brethren. Now let's continue on with Zechariah Prophecies number three. But before we get to the book of Zechariah, Let's understand some things about prophecies. Prophecies, sometimes it's just a one-time occurrence, like the birth of Christ. Other times, there are dualities, a first fulfillment, a second fulfillment. Other times they are secular, as we find in Matthew 24, especially where Jesus said, Be on guard that no one deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. Okay, then we're warned of false prophets. Okay, that is reoccurring, 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 down through every generation. And you go back and you look in the Bible, and you find that there are false prophets, plenty of them mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, especially, because at the time that God was getting ready to send them off into captivity into Babylon, a lot of the other prophets were saying, no, it's not going to happen. Then after the first invasion and Nebuchadnezzar took away a good number of people to Babylon, then the prophets were saying, well, God is going to cause the things of the temple to come back to us never happened. And Jeremiah had to say, no, it's not going to happen. Then there are things like we're going to discover in the book of Zechariah that there is a type of the millennium as we find in Zechariah 8. We'll read that here in just a little bit. And then the millennium when Christ returns. So let's see how we are to to place all the prophecies. First of all, remember this. The Sabbath, the Passover, and the Holy Days. And those, those are all structured in such a way that we are able with the Passover and the Holy Days to have a framework where these things will be fulfilled. And that's the key to understanding the book of Revelation as well. So then, when we look at these prophecies, we've got to be able to discern how they are fulfilled. So the way we do this is as we find in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, so let's go there. okay? Because even Paul was writing that he was having difficulty with those in the church where, at Ephesus, where Timothy was that there were those preaching false doctrine, okay? And he says this, that if we're unfaithful, God is always faithful. Now let's pick it up here in verse 13. And if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, and cannot deny himself. See that you remain mindful of these things, earnestly charging them in the sight of the Lord. Not to argue over words that are not profitable in any way, but which lead to the subverting of those who hear. Now that's very important, because all a fake Christianity in the world does not teach the truth. They take the truth and apply it wrongly. So here's what he says in verse 15. Diligently study to show yourself approved unto God. Okay. Now this is true for all the elders and every one of us. We have to diligently study that means with prayer and study every day okay a workman because being an elder or teacher is work you have to work you have to prepare you have to you have to read you have to write you have to analyze you have to do all these things led by the spirit of god to understand what you need to do Same way in everyone's individual life. How do we live? How do we think? How do we speak? What do we do? How do we view things? And especially living in a world today where there's so much false information coming in that you don't know what the truth is. I know one man who the only thing he watches is MSM, mainstream media, believes everything that they say. Well, where's that going to lead? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, a workman who does not need uh, to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of God. Now, the Greek there means straightly cutting. Because we're going to see, as we already have, that as you read along with some prophecies in the Old Testament, that all of a sudden, boom, here's a prophecy way in the future, just a verse or maybe even a sentence. Okay? So we'll see that in just a bit. Okay? Verse 16 But avoid profane and vain babblings because they will only give rise to more. Ungodliness and their words will eat away at the body like gangrene of whom is Hymenius and, and Philetus, okay, who have gone astray from the truth claiming that the resurrection has already taken place and are destroying the faith of some. So that's what happens when you get false teachers. That's what happens when you get get those who do not rightly divide or straightly cut the word of God. So let's come back to the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, where we finished off last time. And let's see that when God brought the children of Israel, that is the Jews, and there were some children of Israel mixed in, but mostly all Jews, coming back from Babylon, and Ezra was the first wave. And then more came later, and then Nehemiah had to come and make sure that the wall was built, and the whole thing of building the temple and setting it up and and getting the wall around Jerusalem took forty nine years, and they had some wars back and forth with the with their neighbors. But after they got things set up, things remained remained in a really good, how shall we say, situation. Because God blessed them, God blessed the area around, God blessed north of them, east of them, and even down into Egypt. Okay? So here's what we find in Zechariah 8. Here's a verse, verse 7, that can apply to what God was doing right then at that time to bring the Jews and some of the children of Israel back to Judea, but also to the beginning of the millennium. The beginning of the millennium and bringing the people of God back out of the end-time captivity to settle in their new area for the millennium. Okay? Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the East country and from the West and I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Okay. Now that's what's missing today. See now understand this. No system. Not even God's system can work with lies. Not even a simple business transaction can be successful if there are lies involved. That's called swindling, right? So there has to be that environment and God has to make it available and the people have to be willing to choose to do what God wants. And when that happens, even in the letter of the law, there's peace, there's prosperity, there is situation with good crops, good trade, good relations with the neighbors around you, etc. Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who hear in these days these words by the mouth of, of the prophets now, remember, there was what prophets? Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah, all overlapping and contemporary. But also, in the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, which they had in the scrolls, and which they used in the temple and the synagogues, he's saying, take heed, okay? that in the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts is laid, the temple is to be built. All right? Here is a physical temple. We also know that we are part of the temple of God being converted for the spiritual temple at the resurrection. Correct? Okay. Okay. For before these days there was no hire for man, there, uh, nor was there hire for beast, and there was no peace to him from the adversary who went out or came in. But I did set all men, every one, against his neighbor. Now that happens when you reach such a point of evil. Everyone is at everybody's throats. Do we see that happening today? More and more and more and more? Yes, indeed. See, because with the laws of God, they're automatic. If you keep them, you'll be blessed. If you don't keep them, you have troubles. What are the troubles called? Curses. What's another word? Punishment. Okay. God made it automatic, just like the law of gravity. Okay. So he says, verse 11, but now. So when God comes to change what existed before, he's going to make it right. And he did for those who came back from Babylon and built the temple. And it was kind of like a little millennium at that time, all in that area of the world. Okay. But now I will not be to the remnant of this people, as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. But they shall sow in peace, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its increase, and the heavens shall give, its, give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So when the blessing of God comes, it comes. Now, when we have the blessing of God, the question then becomes for everyone at every time, whatever it does come, what are we going to do with those blessings? And remember this it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Look at how good King Hezekiah was. Look at all the things that he did. Look at how God spared Jerusalem from the Assyrians and the army of 180,000 men of the Assyrians who had come against the eastern part of Judea and ready to assault and come into Jerusalem. And Sennacherib sent messengers, generals, to say, we're coming to take the city Don't fight us because we're coming to take us. Don't let Hezekiah say, the Lord is going to fight for us. Well, here's a letter you take to Hezekiah. So he took the letter. Isaiah was with him as prophet, went into the house of the Lord, laid it before the Lord and prayed, repented, asked God for intervention. And God said, I do this. For my name. The adjunct answered that prayer. And you know what happened? The entire army except Sennacherib and a few of the other generals all died. Man and beast. Boom. So they woke up in the morning and it was quiet. Can you imagine what they were thinking when they woke? Didn't hear any sound of any animals, didn't hear any sound of any human beings. And they opened the flaps of their tent and look out, and here's the whole army and all the animals lying dead on the ground. Because God fought the battle for them. So Hezekiah, he got sick. And he pleaded to God, oh, God, give me more time. So God said, yes, I'll give you 15 more years. Okay. Now, what happened when he got older? After all those good things that God did to him. Okay, well, ambassadors from Babylon came to find out how was this battle won? And what happened? Because they had all the gold and all the silver and all the precious things that the Assyrians had taken from Egypt and all the other countries that they had conquered, and they brought all of that, and they started in Jerusalem. So Hezekiah was telling about about that, and then he got carried away with his vanity, and he showed them. All the treasures that they had received. So God sent Isaiah to Hezekiah. And he asked Hezekiah, well, the men from Babylon, what did they see? They saw all of them. So what was the message to Hezekiah? It's all going to Babylon. Because you didn't honor me. But I won't do it in your day, but after you pass. And so then he made the statement, Well, that's good. It won't happen in my day. So you see, how did Hezekiah finish? It was deeply marred. It didn't have to be that way. Okay. So likewise, when God gives a blessing here and he says, okay, they shall have peace. Now verse 13, And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear, but let your your hands be strong. Now, that's a dual fulfillment. Okay? And it could even be a repeated fulfillment for wherever God sends the children of Israel down through history. You could take that, and you could apply it also to the founding of America and winning the war of independence and so forth. Okay. Verse 14, so that says the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I did not repent. So again, I have a thought in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, fear not. So this was really quite a, a, a time. Remember, from 515, all the way down to Antiochus Epiphanes in 169 B.C., they had a great deal of peace. They did have some, some wars, but nothing really was very harmful until Antiochus Epiphanes came and he did what he did to desecrate the temple and offer swine on the altar. Okay. So that was a long period of time. And so what we're doing here in Zechariah, we're reading the beginning of that. So he says, verse 16, These are the things that you shall do. A lot of people wonder, well, what what do we do in America to turn things around? Well, I don't know how far you can turn them around, and I don't know how you're going to get rid of 12 million illegal aliens because those are strangers risen up against us and it's going to be hard to do anything to get rid of them, right? Think of what's going to happen. Personally as a sidebar, I think if you if you think that the 2020 election was a terrible one because of all of the riots and fires, I just wonder what's going to happen in 2024 with all of these illegal aliens who will now have no government subsidy, will have no job, will have no future. And they came here to get it, but they're not going to get it. Are they going to riot? Are they going to burn? Are they going to loot? Are they going to kill? Don't know. These are the things that you shall do. Now, here's the only thing that would change things in America right now. Let each man speak the truth to his neighbor. Speak the truth. Well, all we have is lies, right? Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates, and let no one imagine evil against uh, in his heart against his neighbor, and do not love a false oath. All these are things that I hate, says the Lord. Now think about that. God can know everything about everyone anytime he wants to. But he's given us all free moral agency. And he's given us his word. And especially in America, We seem to be the only place left in the world where it is good to preach the word of God. In Finland, they're trying to make it illegal to post anything concerning the Bible on the Internet in Finland. How soon is that coming to Europe? How soon is that coming here? We don't know. Okay. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, fifth month, the fast of the seventh month, the fast of the tenth month. Now, what were those? Those were fasts that the Jews were taking in Babylon, hoping that God would lift them out of the captivity. Okay, So they would mourn, they would groan, they would do all the things to make themselves Fasting, okay? Okay, so, they shall be to the house of Judah for joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Oh, isn't that just kind of a statement of what the whole Bible is about? Truth and peace or sin, and punishment? Yes, it is. You go clear back to Cain and Abel. Okay? So think of it that way. Okay? Thus said the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people, the inhabitants of many cities, and the residents of one shall go to another, saying, Let us go up At once, to pray before the face of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts, I will go also. And many people in strong nations. Now, this is a type of the millennium, as we find in Isaiah 2 and Micah, the fourth chapter. But that happened during this period right there in Judea and the area that we call the Middle East. And it reached clear up above into Syria, and clear down into Egypt. And many of the people followed God. Now, they may have not kept the holy days. They may not have kept the Sabbath. Maybe a good number of them did. But nevertheless, if you have any society where they speak truth, where they deal honestly, where they are fair in their business dealings, where they love their fathers and love their mothers, love their husbands, love their wives, God will give peace. And all of that in the letter of the law. Okay? So it doesn't matter where you are. There are a lot of people today looking at the Hamish and the the Mennonites and saying, you know, they don't use electricity, but they get along just fine. They live longer than any other people. They do believe a lot of parts of the Bible. Okay? That's quite a thing. Okay? And their horses, they reproduce each other, and they don't have to buy new cars, and they don't have to repair them. They have wagons that they go in, but that's fine. So if you go to Indiana and you go to certain parts of Ohio and certain parts of Pennsylvania, you'll go to the cities where you, you will see that they have a lane for the horse-drawn carriages. Now, when we kept, kept the feast in Shipshawana, that was an Amish city. And it was really quite nice to do that. Okay. Now, what's another advantage Okay. What did they have? They didn't have to buy gasoline. The horses eat grass and grain and we plant it and it grows. Who gives that? God does. See, So right there is an example for us of what would happen if people would turn to God. Okay, That happened then. Okay, thus says the Lord in those days it shall come to pass, verse 23, that ten men out of all the languages of the nations shall take hold and shall seize the skirt of a man, a Jew, saying, I will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. How powerful was that peace that God gave? Okay, well, during that that space of time, from 515 B.C., clear down to 209 B.C. Okay? Because Ezra set up the great synagogue, and the great synagogue was like the governing body of the Jews. And they followed the things in the Bible. They had the temple, they had the offerings, God was with them, everything was going fine. And the word of God was so popular, and after the conquest of Alexander, now, if you read in the book of, of Josephus about the history of the Jews, Alexander, who conquered that whole area and overtook the, the Persian Empire clear to the, to the borders of India, when he came down to conquer Egypt, he had to come guess where? He had to come through Judea where the Jews were. Okay, And Alexander had a dream. And the dream was that when he got there, he would be met by a priest and a whole host of those working at the temple. So, And, of course, God gave him that dream. So when he got there and he started coming toward Jerusalem, the high priest and a whole band of Levites were coming down to greet him. And the priest explained out of the book of Daniel about the prophecy of his conquering. And he left the Jews without conquering them because he saw it was the hand of God. So that tells you what it was like. And, of course, that was in 331 B.C. Well, in the 280s B.C., there were so many Jews And keeping the word of God, and they had the Hebrew, but they all spoke at that time. Koine Greek became the common language of the whole Middle East. So when we come down to the time of the apostles, that was the common language that the people used. Yes, they had Aramaic. Yes, they had Latin, but Greek was a primary language. And Greek was the language that the New Testament was written in. Now then, so popular was the way of the Jews, and with the Jews in Alexandria, that is in Egypt, and Alexandria is named after Alexander, that they got together 70 scholars to translate the Hebrew into Greek. Now let me read you this. The Septuagint, from the Latin meaning 70, and frequently referred to by the the capital letters LXX, Okay, is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The name derives from the tradition that it was made by 70 or 72 Jews, Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt during the reign of Ptolemy, Philadelphus in 285 to 247 B.C. Okay. That was right at the height of this near millennial setting that God had brought to the Jews and to the Middle East after they came back out of Babylon. Now this also set the stage for the coming of the New Testament to be written in Greek because all languages in the Middle East and getting up into Europe came from the Greek structure and the Greek language, plus later a good deal of that Latin was added to it. But that includes all the nations in Eastern Europe. Even today, the Eastern Orthodox have what? They have the Greek manuscript and Septuagint, right? Okay, And many of the languages are based upon the Greek, and Greek is very precise and God wanted it in this language. Now some people say that the New Testament was originally written in Aramaic. No, it was not. It was Greek. Okay. Also, it has been preserved in a large number of manuscript copies of the original and the Greek text of the Byzantine edition is based on the Vaticanus, okay, and early fourth century manuscript, all right, with some reliance on on other texts, particularly Alexandrinus and the fifth century manuscript. Okay? Now then, in translating the New Testament, I did a lot of surveying of the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses and translated into the Greek. And it is very accurate. Many of the quotes in the New Testament into Greek referring to the Old Testament are clear references from the Septuagint because it was so popular and everybody was speaking Greek that they made scrolls or books. Of the Greek text Septuagint to go into the synagogues. Okay, so that was quite a thing. So this whole period, this whole period, was a time like a mini millennium. Now let's come to chapter nine, book of Zechariah, chapter nine, the burden of the word of the Lord against. Hadrach, and its resting place, Damascus, when the eyes of man and all the tribes of Israel shall be toward the Lord, Hamath also, a border on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they were very wise, Tyre shall build herself a stronghold. Now you read the history of Tyre. Tyre was conquered by the Persians, and then they moved the city out to an island. And in order to conquer it, Alexander tore down the whole city on the shore, threw it into the Mediterranean and made a causeway to go out to Tyre and conquered it. Okay, But here it says they're going to heap up gold, they're going to have heap up silver, etc., etc. Verse 7, and I will take Take away the blood from out of their mouths and his abomination from between his teeth. But the remnant even shall be for our God, and he shall be as a governor of Judah and an Ekron like a Jehubite. And I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by, and because of him who returns, and no tyrant shall pass through. Okay? Then he says, now here in verse 9, this is quite a thing. Here is what we find many times in the Old Testament. You go along in some prophecies, they may be current, they may be an accurate telling of history of what was happened, and then all of a sudden, boom! Here's a short prophecy about the Messiah. Okay. Well, we read that last time with the branch, right? Okay. Let's read it here, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king comes to you. He is triumphant and victorious, yet meek and riding on a donkey, even on a colt, the fold of a donkey. Okay. That one verse. That was fulfilled when Jesus came in triumphant into Jerusalem. There it is. Right there. Then he says, And I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the house of Jerusalem, and the battle bowl shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. And his dominion shall be from one sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, what is that? That is a prophecy of the coming kingdom of God. So here we have in two verses, we have number one, his first coming. Number two, his second coming and setting up of the kingdom of God. Verse 11. You also, by the blood of your covenant, I have freed your prisoners out of the pit in which they, there was no water. Turn to the stronghold, prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I shall restore double to you. For I bent Judah for me and filled the bow of Ephraim, and I will raise up sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece." and I will make you as the sword of mighty men. So now he's saying right here. Now, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to fight for you. And you can look at this as a fulfillment also, because he mentions Ephraim. Now, who is Ephraim? Ephraim is what we call Great Britain today. Now, you look at the history of Britain and all the different times that they had When they came to God, when they left God, when they had problems, when they turned to God. Now, one of the most productive and glorious times of Britain was during the reign of Queen Victoria. And she enforced no sexual perversity. They even had it that if you were a thief... You would be hung. Well, what did they have during that time? Just like Unwin found in all of his survey of countries that when any country does that which is right, which is good, which has absolute monogamy, absolute chastity, and absolute virginity, that that nation prospers. And during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, it was one of the most profitable prosperous, industrial, inventive expansion of the empire at any time in the history of the British Empire. Perfect example, just like what it says here. Verse 14, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrows shall go forth like the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the ram's horn and shall go out, with the whirlwinds from the south. And the Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue uh, with uh, sling stones, and they shall drink and be boisterous like uh, as though with wine, and they shall be filled like a bowl, and like the corners of the altar." And the Lord their God shall save them in the day of the flock of his people, for they are as stones of a crown lifted up as a banner over his land. How great is the goodness and how great its beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the virgins. Now you can look at the prosperity that was there at that time in the Middle East with the Jews, and then look at the prosperity of how it was with with the Brits. Quite a wonderful thing. See, all of that is because of God. Okay, And when they, they kept the Bible, kept the things in the Bible. Now, I've got a, a, a man in England, Graham Slee, who sent me a good number of quotes that in the history of Britain, that they didn't keep Christmas. They didn't keep Christmas. The Puritans who came to America kept the Sabbath, and they didn't keep Christmas. As a matter of fact, in Massachusetts, now one of the deepest pits of Satanism today in America They forbade anyone keeping Christmas, and they would have to pay a fine if they were caught. Now look at it today. I was watching Fox News last night, and I was thinking about that in my mind, and here's this great tree, all the lights, all the beauty, all of the deception. All of the lovely things. And now, if anyone is against Christmas, you're a hateful person. And then look how far we have gone in everything else. Okay? Well, we'll continue on next time. See if we can finish up the book of Zechariah. Because it ends up with the return of Christ. So... This will help us understand how we can study the prophets and how we can key them to the holy days, key them to the other prophecies, which show the coming kingdom of God. And always remember, we have been called to participate in that. We have been called to be the leaders and teachers and the priests and the administrators for all the world. And think of what a gigantic thing that is going to be when we come down off the sea of glass after the resurrection to take over the world, to stop all war, to bring peace to all people. So all of the things that we read in these prophecies, It always ends up at that point.